0: Well, it's great to be with you this morning, opening up God's Word. My name is Pastor Scott, and uh, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. We will eventually get there, uh, but I want you to be there ahead of time. Acts chapter 15, it'll begin in verse 36, whether you're looking on an electronic device or a Bible or even the Pew Bible in front of you, which is page 870 if you're looking at that one. Today we're going to be talking about how failure does not have to be final, and we're going to be using the example of John Mark. Nothing debilitates us as much or is as scary as the fear of failure. In fact, research indicates that our fear of failure tops all of our phobias at 31% of all people having that fear of failure. Now, maybe you would have thought uh, that it was uh, the the fear of public speaking, or maybe the fear of dentist or any kind of a doctor, but it's actually the fear of failure, but is followed very closely uh, by the fear of public speaking at thirty percent and also at thirty percent is the fear of spiders. Interesting. That makes me think that maybe the worst of all phobias might be the fear of getting a failing grade while doing an oral report on the scariest horror movies starring spiders. (laughs) Now here's some trivia for you. The top three scariest spider movies ever, according to ScreenRant.com, are Arachnophobia in 1990, Tarantula in 1955, and Eight-Legged Freaks in 2002. Now, I think a spider movie, a spider horror movie from the 1950s, sounds like a lot of fun, and I think I'm going to put that on my list. (laughs) Unless, of course, you have a fear of spiders, and then it probably doesn't sound like much fun at all. Did you know that nearly half of all adults admit that the fear of failure was the biggest roadblock to not achieving their goals or discouraged them from revisiting their goals? Fear is the opposite of a positive forward movement. It's a dark force that snuffs out our passion. It can be lonely, but you're not alone in it. The truth is that even extremely successful people have failed along the way and recovered, actually more than recovered. It's a universal truth that we fear things a little bit less than when we know that we're not alone in those fears. And best of all is when we understand that it's not just other people that have experienced fear, but that our God, the God of the universe, understands our fears and, he, and our failures, and he wants to help us. Let me share some names of some very successful people who failed, but didn't find that failure final. Colonel Sanders of KFC fame was rejected over a thousand times before finding a franchise partner. Perhaps the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, was cut from his high school team. Albert Einstein had the label, mentally slow, put on his permanent school record. Henry Ford's first two automobile companies failed. Jerry Seinfeld was booed off a of stage in his first ever stand-up comedy routine. Sir James Dyson suffered through 5,126 failed experiments before he was able to get a working model of the Dyson vacuum cleaner. Elvis Presley was fired from the Grand Old Opry and told to go back to truck driving. Steven Spielberg was rejected from film school three times. John Grisham's first book, A Time to Kill, was rejected 28 times, and Walt Disney was fired from his job at a newspaper early in his career because they said he lacked imagination. (laughs) Well, how about some examples from the Bible? Probably the most famous from the Old Testament is King David, who was an adulterer and a murderer, and maybe the most famous in the New Testament is Peter, who denied Christ three times. And then there is the man named John Mark, and that's who I'm going to be talking about today. So let's do a little bit of an introduction on John Mark. First of all, his name, Mark, that's actually a Roman name, and the meaning of it is a large hammer or polite. Now for me, large hammer and polite do not mean the same thing. Uh, But then there's also his Hebrew name, which is John, and that means God or Yahweh has been gracious. He was the son of Mary, who was a leading Christian in the early church in Jerusalem. We're not talking about the mother of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary. And he was also an apostle, but had no official position among the original 12 disciples. Then there's this crazy prayer meeting that he's associated with. John Mark uh, was part of this because it was at his mom's house. Herod, who had beheaded James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, then had Peter, the disciple, arrested. But many of Peter's friends had gathered in the home of Mary, and they had gathered to pray for the safe deliverance of Peter. When Herod saw that the rabble-rousing crowd was happy with what he had done, he decided to do it again, and that's when he got Peter involved in this. So Peter is arrested, he's put in prison, And he's guarded by 16 soldiers. That night while Peter was snoring away, an angel came and we're told he actually had to hit Peter in the side. It wasn't just tapping him gently. He must have been a very sound sleeper. The angel told Peter to put on his belt, his sandals, his robe, hopefully not in that order, and walk right past the guards. Peter thought this was a dream or a vision that he was having. And as they came to the gates... The gates just opened up by themselves, and they walked through, Peter and the angel. And I think that's when he realized what was really happening. So at that point, Peter decides he's going to go to Mary's house, since she's one of the leaders of the church. What Peter didn't know was that there was that prayer meeting going on, and all those people asking God to deliver him. When Peter knocked on the door, the servant girl, named Rhoda, went to the door And instead of opening it, she asked who was there. Now, most likely she did that because she was afraid, maybe thinking that the soldiers had come to arrest more people. But Rhoda did recognize Peter's voice, but instead of letting him in, she runs back to the back of the house to the prayer meeting and told them that Peter was at the door, while the door still closed. And the group told Rhoda that she was crazy, but she insisted that it was Peter, And Peter just keeps on knocking on the door. he's probably thinking, would you please open the door before the soldiers find out that I'm gone? So the whole group goes to the door, and when they open it, surprise, there's Peter. Now how's that for a prayer meeting? Many Bible scholars think that this was the start of a long-standing relationship between Peter and John Mark. Can I tell you a great story about another famous prayer meeting? This is during the Great Awakening when the Spirit of God revived much of our nation's faith. Jonathan Edwards was presiding over this very large prayer meeting. There were 800 men that were all gathered to pray. And into that meeting, a woman sent a message asking them to begin to pray specifically for her husband. The note described a man who had become unloving, prideful, and difficult. So Jonathan Edwards reads this message silently and then thinking that maybe the reason why she sent the note was because he was there at the meeting, so he decides he's going to make this bold request. So he reads the note out loud to the 800 men so that everyone could pray for him. And then he asked if the man who had been described would raise his hand. 300 men raised their hands. (laughs) Well, let's get back to John Mark. His mom was a godly, wealthy widow in Jerusalem. And her house was a favorite meeting place of the early church. Her name was Mary, and she was the sister of Barnabas, making Barnabas John Mark's uncle. Barnabas was a Levite. Now, let me explain what that means. Levites assisted the priest in worship in the Jewish temple. So in today's church, Barnabas might have been a member of the worship team. Barnabas was known as this super great encourager but also he donated generously by selling land that he owned and giving the proceeds to the church to help the church and to help those who were destitute. And also he basically sponsored and mentored the Apostle Paul when everyone else was scared of Paul's past, when he was known as Saul, the persecutor of the church. Barnabas also accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. Actually, Barnabas was the number one guy on that missionary journey, not Paul. So you can see that John Mark, he comes from good stock. He had a godly mother, he had a godly uncle, and they were both leaders in the early church. Now John Mark's spiritual father, in other words, the man who brought him to faith in Jesus, was probably the disciple Peter. That that theory is based on 1 Peter 5.13, when Peter calls John Mark, my son. Church historians say that John Mark was a close companion of Peter for about 12 years. And most evangelical theologians believe uh, that the gospel of Mark was not merely the work of John Mark, but that after listening to Peter for 12 years, along with his own experiences with Jesus... John Mark wrote these experiences in what we now know as the Gospel of Mark. It's almost a given that John Mark had heard and seen Jesus during his earthly ministry. And in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 14, describing the night that Judas betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we are told that all of Jesus' disciples deserted him, all of them except for John Mark. He did not desert Jesus. He was following Jesus and the mob that came to arrest him. Now, here's the humorous part. And remember, John Mark is the one that's writing this down for all eternity to read and remember. John Mark was wearing only a bedsheet, And when they tried to seize John Mark, they only got his sheet. And he ran away, naked as the day he was born. Now, do you remember I told you about Barnabas and Paul in their first missionary journey? Well, John Mark was with them. We know that from Acts chapter 13, verse 5. And this is where things get interesting. Okay, the running away part naked, that was pretty interesting, but it's not as important to this sermon as the part I'm about to tell you. Can you imagine being asked by Barnabas, your incredibly godly uncle and the incomparable apostle Paul, To join them on a missionary journey. What an incredible honor that was. He could have gone down in biblical history as one of the all time greats in the New Testament. Maybe Paul and Barnabas would have franchised a missionary journey to John Mark in the future. But here's what actually happened he failed big time. This was an epic fail. Now, let me give you an illustration of an epic fail. There was a A man in South Korea, his name is Seo Sang-moon, and he figured that he would eventually be able to pass his driver's license examination, and he did on the 272nd try. After attempting one more regulatory hurdle, he would have his first driver's license even though he was nearly 70 years old. Siao was from a rural part of South Korea, and he really didn't have any chance to pass a written examination because he was illiterate. And so he took oral examinations and took them as often as possible so that he could learn the rules of the road. And after spending nearly $1,000 in exam fees, he did indeed reach his goal. And now all he had to do was pass the road test. Now, while this part of the process would be difficult... He wasn't afraid, and he said, after trying 271 times to pass the oral exam, what do I have to be afraid of? Well, how did John Mark fail? Acts 13.13 says, Now Paul and his companions, which would include Barnabas, set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. One theologian has described his failure as vacillating. I would say he looked back and he went back. Paul and Barnabas were counting on him and he failed them by quitting. We aren't told why he turned his back on his ministry and his companions. All we can do is speculate. The possibility that I've heard the most often is that he was homesick. But obviously, if it was important for us to know, God would have had it recorded in Scripture. Now, in case you're wondering, what's the big deal? So he went back. It's not like he turned his back on God. He just went home instead of completing the trip. Well, this was a big deal. When you read the New Testament, you realize how many of the churches and Christ followers that are written to and that we are told about as a direct result of those three missionary journeys that are described in Acts. And then you will realize what a big deal turning his back was. I mean, what if all three of them had turned back, Paul and Barnabas as well as John Mark? How many churches would not have been planted? How many people would have never heard the good news? How many people would not have had their eternal destination changed from hell to heaven? It reminds me of what's written in James chapter 1, verse 6, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And there were other repercussions. When John Mark failed to fulfill his responsibilities and obligations to Paul and Barnabas, he put a tremendous strain on the relationship of those two men. Ultimately, it brought about a severance of their ministry, of their ministry relationship, and a separation of these two close friends. So yes, this was a very big deal. Paul said he was through working and ministering with John Mark. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, did not give up on John Mark. So let's read our story now. I hope you're still in Acts chapter 15. And we're going to begin at verse 36 and read through verse 31. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, But Paul chose Silas, and he departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, when Paul and Barnabas began to plan for their second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark that second chance. The Apostle Paul, as great of a spiritual leader as he was, would have nothing to do with that. And the disagreement was so sharp that they split up. And as far as we know, Paul and Barnabas never worked in ministry ever again. Paul took a man named Silas, and Barnabas chose to give John Mark another chance. Our God is a God of second chances. And I'd be failing to mention it if I didn't say third and fourth and fifth and as many chances as we need. But if you were in need of some encouragement because of some bad decisions or actions, maybe you should memorize some of these verses I'm going to share with you. Listen to these encouraging words from the Bible. By the way, all of these are, I'm going to be reading from the NIV just because that's how I memorized them at the time. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 through 30. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. From Joel chapter 2 verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments, return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. This is the one that we read together this morning, Lamentations three: 21 through23. <clears throat> Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Micah 7:18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Proverbs 24, 16. This is from the New American Standard. For a righteous person falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of disaster. And then Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How did things turn out for Mark? If we were telling our own story, because we tend to be harder on ourselves than we are on others, we would either say, well, that was the end for John Mark. He knew what God's will was and he stepped out of it. So John Mark just had to make the best of a ruined situation on his own. In other words, John Mark had failed God, so God gave up on John Mark. Thankfully, that is not how our God rep- operates. Or maybe we would believe that John Mark would only have God's second best for the rest of his life. By the way, you're not going to find that phrase anywhere in the Bible, although you will hear it quite often in church. God might still use John Mark, but it would never be as good as if John Mark had not turned his back and gone home. Is that true? Honestly, none of us knows the answer to what if. Reminds me of the allegories that C.S. Lewis wrote about in the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a quote from Lewis's Prince Caspian when Lucy is confronted by the lion, Aslan, who represents Jesus because she didn't obey him. First, she tries to justify her actions. And then she asks about what would have been had she obeyed him the first time. And Aslan answers her, To know what would have happened, child? No. Nobody has ever told that. End of quote. That only leads to the what-if game. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We've all played that, including myself. What if I hadn't done this? What if I had done that? Many of you know that I was a financial analyst before I was a pastor. I've wondered many times what my life would have been like if I had studied for the ministry instead of studying for business. And maybe you've had some similar thoughts. What if you hadn't lost your temper that time? What if you hadn't told that lie or that half-truth? What if you had taken that job or chosen that other career What if you had finished college? What if you had married someone else? Or had worked through the difficulties instead of getting divorced? What if you had not had an abortion? What if? And you fill in the blank. How many times do all of us relive certain past events saying, what if I had done that differently? Sometimes we daydream about how good life would be if things had gone differently. Sometimes we try to make wrong things right, finding a loophole so that we can justify our actions. There is the very real danger of becoming consumed with our past. Think about those what-ifs for a moment. What-ifs are always the beginning of a false story. You have a story, your story, your life. I studied business and became a financial analyst for 16 years before changing course. No matter how much I what-if the past, I can't change it. That's not my story. Your what-ifs may seem innocent enough, but they can lead to a dissatisfaction with your life. You can end up blaming your dissatisfaction with your current life on your spouse or your children or even your parents. Your real story can end up being trashed by this false story. What-ifs can seem innocent, But they are always false, and they will cause us problems if we dwell on them. What if I had married that other person? Will not help the marriage that you're in. What if I hadn't gotten divorced? Will not change the divorce? What if I hadn't had the abortion, or convinced my partner to have the abortion? Will not change the fact that you did. No matter the what if, we will never know what might have happened, and the false story will likely do us harm. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to that, to what we have attained. All of us are in a place right now that our past decisions have put us in. We can question those decisions for the next ten years, beating ourselves over the head with the what-ifs. Or... We can see where we are right now and press on towards the future that will eventually be our story. Sometimes we need to forgive others or seek forgiveness from God and from others, but then we need to forget it and get on to what will become our story. Going back to Prince Caspian, Aslan tells Lucy that anyone can find out what will happen if they just begin obeying him now. So what happened to John Mark? Did he dwell in the past, or did he move ahead and forge a new story for his life through the grace of God? Well, first of all, he must have understood the great grace of God. Yes, he had failed on that missionary journey, and it had serious repercussions. But remember, John Mark had been taught well from his childhood by his mother, and he had an incredible, godly, and encouraging uncle in Barnabas. We aren't told any of the details, but I look forward to sitting down with John Mark someday in heaven and hearing the rest of that story and all those in-betweens. But we do know the end of the story. The Gospel of Mark bears his name. Christian tradition tells us that John Mark was a close associate of Peter from whom he had heard the things said and done by Jesus. That tradition did not come to Mark as a finished sequential account of jesus's life but as the preaching of peter and mark accurately preserved this material as the human author not as peter's secretary simply taking dictation the gospel of mark was the first gospel to be recorded and it was written to a roman audience this is quite a ministry and one that will last forever but we also know that John Mark became a valued colleague once again of Paul. You see that in Colossians 4, verses 10 and 11, and also in Philemon, verse 24. Here's something wonderful that the Apostle Paul wrote about John Mark. It was at the end of Paul's life, and he's in a Roman prison awaiting a death sentence. 2 Timothy four eleven says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to for me in ministry Isn't that incredible not only was john mark forgiven by paul but he was invited back into ministry with him because paul found john mark so useful that he wanted john mark more than anyone else that he could have asked for and peter had equally gracious and affectionate words about mark john mark in first peter 5:13 when he called him my son. What do we know from history about John Mark and how he finished the race of life? Tradition says that John Mark became a bishop in the early church and that he was martyred for his faith. Church historians say that his body was moved to Venice and buried there. And there's a place called St. Mark's Basilica, which is a beautiful church named after John Mark Who later in his life was known as Mark the Evangelist. What a great nickname to have. You've all heard of the inventor Thomas Edison. He invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and more than a thousand other things. By December of 1914, he had worked for 10 years on a storage battery. And it had greatly strained his finances. One evening, spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room, and within minutes, all the packing compounds, celluloid for records and film, and other flammable goods were going up in flames. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense and the water pressure was so low that they couldn't put out the fire. And everything was destroyed. Edison was 67 years old at the time, and with all of his assets going up in smoke, would his spirit also be crushed? Although the damage exceeded $2 million, which would be $60 million today, only the buildings had been insured, and only for $238,000, because the buildings were built of concrete and therefore they were thought to be fireproof. The inventor's 24-year-old son, Charles, searched frantically for his father, and when he finally found him, he found him calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. Charles said, My heart ached for him. He was 67, no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames. And when he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? And when I told him I didn't know, he said, well, find her and bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. (laughs) The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and he said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. And three weeks after the fire, Edison delivered the first phonograph. There are some important things that I want you to remember this morning. First of all, don't give up on others when they fail. Don't give up on yourself when you fail. The blessings of a godly home are invaluable. The church owes so much to Mary, the mother of John Mark. So much depends on your choice of friends. Mark's life was lived in the company of godly men like Peter and Paul and Barnabas. Don't ever believe that your circumstances in life determine how far you can go. Remember, John Mark was the product of a single parent. And yet, he became an apostle, a leader in the church, and the writer of one of the Gospels in the New Testament, a work that will last for all eternity. Here's something else important to remember you will never read of John Mark preaching a sermon. You will never read about him performing a single miracle. All that is said about him in the Bible is that he was a helper of others, and he was greatly rewarded for that service. What I've said this morning is directed at people who have failed, which is all of us, but more specifically, it's directed at people who are Christ followers who have failed. But what if you're experiencing failures, but you are not yet a Christ follower? I believe that today can be the day of salvation for you. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I read this this past week and I thought I'd like to share this with you. It says you've never gone too far that God can't redeem you, restore you, forgive you, and give you a second chance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for putting this story of failure in the Bible. Not simply because it's a story of failure, but because it's a story of redemption. Of being given a second chance. And Father, I pray for those who follow you and call you their Lord and have found themselves in this situation, maybe even recently, would you give them hope? Get their eyes off of their failure and onto you. And Father, for those who have not yet put their trust in you, I pray that they will call on you in repentance not just being sorry for the things that they've done, but that they would confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. Father, there is so much power through You that is available to us. We want to live our lives for You and not dwell in the past. In Jesus' name, amen.